0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, June the 10th, 2022. It is currently 5.18 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the expensive Theological theological, Central—theological—the— Yeah, it's so expensive, I can't even speak right. I got to really hype this up. I'm coming to you live from the expensive Theology Central headquarters, which is really just a second-story room in my home overlooking a street here in Abilene, Texas. I'm having a little bit of fun. If you listen to the last live broadcast where we talked about, what, $395,000 in... By June the thirtieth, I don't even remember what I entitled the uh, episode. It dealt with ministry and money, so I, I need to pretend that I'm coming to you from some expensive, expensive studio. the The headquarters of Theology Central. To maintain these headquarters requires millions of dollars, and I need I need three hundred ninety five thousand dollars by June the thirtieth, or or we will no longer have a st- okay. Yes, I'm still having a little bit of fun with the last live broadcast, but we're not here to talk about the last live broadcast yet. Some of the listeners who, who are talking about it today... Well, someone wrote out like an entire parody of the email that we looked at from a ministry, which was somewhat funny. And someone did some, um, well, a little bit of investigation to find out exactly how much money that ministry is bringing in. And well, yeah, it we'll definitely have to do a follow up to that. But we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about something very, very specific to you and to me. All right, and I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to think about it. What is? I need you to be honest, right? You don't You don't have to write this down. You can just think it in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud in case anyone's around you, I, around you. I don't want you to write it down because you may not want anyone to see it. I don't want you to post it online. I just want you to think about it. I want you to really, if you need to hit pause and think about it, on when you can when you can finally answer the question well i mean this is a live broadcast so if you're listening live you can you can't pause if you're not listening live you can pause but i want you to think about it are you ready here we go here we go what is your number 1 regret at this very moment in your life on this July the tenth, twenty twenty two, at five twenty one p.m., what is your greatest regret up to this very moment in your life? Does it immediately just as soon as I say what is your number one regret? Boom! It hits you. You know, you know what it is. There's just you, you know what it is, or maybe fortunately you're one of those people going, well, I don't really know. Do I? Do I have a? Do I have a regret? do you have a regret? Do you have a regret? I know some of you are like, wait a minute, you want me to name one? I've got 50. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand. We, we, probably you have a number of regrets. Now, just for some weird reason, Just in case you don't know, maybe you're one of those very fortunate people. You're like, I don't even know. What is regret? I don't even know what it is to regret anything. Well, regret is defined is the um, regret is the emotion of wishing one had made a different decision in the past because the consequences of the decision were unfavorable. Regret is related to perceived opportunity. So regret is the emotion of wishing one had made a different decision in the past because the consequences of the decision were unfavorable. What is your greatest regret? What is your number one regret? Your number one regret. Do you have it down? I, I don't, no, don't post it in the chat. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I just I, I want you to think about it. And I want you to hear, well, I'm not, when I say hear, I'm going to read for you the number one regret of a 70-year-old Christian, someone who's 70 years of age, they gave their number one regret, and I want you to hear their regret and compare it to yours. I want you to hear what their number one regret is. They're 70 years of age, so they've lived life. I want you to hear what their number one regret is, and I want you to compare it to yours. Now, I'm not saying, well, you can just, you can, you can respond any way you want, but I want you to hear this. Are you ready? Because I thought it was rather profound, and it leads to a very interesting discussion with many theological implications, which would make sense since this is the Theology Central podcast. Are you ready? Here we go. The number one regret of a 70-year-old Christian. Do you have any regrets, is how the article begins. I had lunch with an elderly woman recently, a woman whom I've enjoyed Christian fellowship with for years. This woman is filled with wisdom and insights and knowledge. So when I asked her about the biggest regret of her life, I knew she would respond well but I didn't know her words would be so impactful. Here's what she said. Do you have any regrets? And I quote, pursue holiness, she responded. If I would have known that God wanted me to pursue holiness when I was in my 20s, that would have changed the trajectory of my life and saved me a lot of heartache. Young people need to learn how to pursue holiness. The author of the article says, I was speechless and I'm a blogger. Okay, So the person writing is a blogger, but they were left speechless. Now, she didn't obviously state it like, I mean, you can kind of see it, but she almost turned it into an opportunity to try to teach others instead of just speaking of like, man, Here's the reason I regret it. You can hear a little bit of it. It was more, I mean, it was like, I regret it and I don't want anyone to regret it. It almost immediately turned to other people instead of just expressing the pain and the reason why. So that would have been maybe, well, it's interesting either way you look at it, but it is a rather profound answer that her greatest regret, her greatest regret is a failure to pursue holiness. Holiness is the greatest regret in your life at this moment June the 10th 2022 now at 5:25 p.m. is your greatest regret in life a failure to pursue holiness Now I thought what I thought was interesting is instead of saying her greatest regret was a specific sin a specific failure in her, her her spiritual life. Because I would be more likely to say, no, my greatest regret happened the, uh, at a particular year, at a particular week where I engaged in a particular... Be- I would be able to go through specific situation where I specifically failed and hurt a lot of people and hurt the name of Christ. I would go to something specific. I would name those regrets. Like if I was going to name regrets, I would probably... I, I, I hope my number one regret would be my spiritual my spiritual failures and my sin. I hope it would be like if I'm being honest. Like now, I'd, if I if I if if I'm if I'm completely by myself, I'm like, what is my greatest regret? Now, I ha- you you can have regrets as a husband, a, a regret as a wife, a regret as a mother, as a father. I, I do have regrets in all of those areas, but I I still think my my regret would be towards specific sin instead of saying a failure to pursue holiness. Like which way, which direction would you have gone? Uh, My greatest regret is this particular sin or just say a failure to pursue holiness because that, that includes so many things. So it's rather profound. I would focus on the specific sin, but this person looked at the bigger picture that, every sin that i've ever committed should be a regret so ultimately it's a failure to pursue holiness but at the same time the now let's let's be now there's going to be some who theologically disagree with this, but I think from a biblical perspective, because I believe our depraved nature, our sinful nature remains with us even after conversion, it stays with us. I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, not by an infused righteousness. So I think this is very important. So I'm still going to sin. So I think that's this is very important. If my greatest regret is a failure to pursue holiness, I do have to acknowledge that even if I would have pursued holiness with every ounce of my being, with everything that I have, I still would have failed. I still would have fallen short. The pursuit of holiness is a pursuit that you will not achieve if we are speaking of a practical holiness, of a practical righteousness. You will never achieve it. When the Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy, that is to... That is, a, that is a call, a command that shows you your absolute spiritual bankruptcy. And you realize that if God wants me to be holy, he's gonna have to give me the holiness he calls for because I can never be that holy because I have a sinful nature. That is not eradicated in salvation. So the to, to say the pursuit of holiness is the greatest regret is rather profound. But at the same time, it's a pursuit which can never be achieved in a practical way. So it, it, it's kind of a that's kind of an interesting one to look at. But let's let's see what they have to say here. Is there a more important message for young Christians today? Now I'm gonna stop right here. And and you gotta to stay with me here. You gotta you gotta think this through here. I need I need a pencil in my hand. Where's my pencils? Right, because whenever I start thinking, I need a pencil. Right, I need my pencil. Okay, yes, I have to have a pencil in my hand. Without a pencil in my hand, I, my brain doesn't work. It has to have a pencil in its hand. All right, I want you to think about this. You got to put your thinking caps on. All right, I, I wish I wish I had a room full of people. Right, I wish I. Had, um, if you are listening live, the last live broadcast, someone posted a message and it did not show up until after I was off the air. So let me open my iPad really quick. 'Cause it always shows up on the iPad. Let me go here. I'm gonna open up the chat. Okay, good. N- nothing there, so that's good. All right, I-, I guess that's good. That's that's either a good sign or a bad sign. All right, here we go. I want you to think about this. The article, so they ask a 70-year-old woman, what is your greatest regret? And it's a failure to pursue holiness. It's rather profound, but but we have to clearly establish the fact that the pursuit of holiness is something you can never truly achieve. You will never achieve holiness. You pers- you can pursue it and pursue it and pursue it. You're going to fall short. 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 You'll be in a perpetual state of failure, a perpetual state of frustration, a perpetual st- state of possibly depression, if if you think that you can achieve it, because you can never achieve it, because inside of you is a depraved nature that is not eradicated in salvation. Remember, my salvation is because of an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. If I start thinking of an infused righteousness, then I've returned to, Ro- to Rome. I've returned to Catholicism. The whole... Thing that separate the whole issue and the Protestant Reformation is how am, how is a sinful man justified before God by an imputed righteousness or an infused righteousness? Rome said an in infused righteousness. The the Protestant and I believe biblical answer is by an imputed righteousness. Right. So this is very important. So if we tell people that the most important message for a Christian today is for them to pursue holiness. We have to make sure they understand that, first of all, Christianity cannot be re- re- reduced to simply a pursuit of holiness that almost turns it into simply a moral system, a, a, a kind of a, a moral pursuit instead of, instead of understanding where, where the holiness truly comes from. And they also have to understand that they're never truly going to accomplish it. Let's see how, what the article does here. This is a a paragraph. Listen carefully to this paragraph and see if you, oh, if I was in a, if I was was teaching a class on justification, if I was teaching a class on justification or soteriology, I think I would read this paragraph and ask everyone, is there a, is there a theological error here? Is there, is there a doctrinal error contained within this? And I think most people would say, nope, there's no problem, but you, you can tell me what you think. All right, here we go. You ready? Thinking caps on. All right? Tell your kids to be quiet. All right? Tell tell your spouse to be quiet. All right? Tell your coworkers to be quiet. Tell. tell You're in the middle of a very important theological discussion. Okay? Here we go. Tell everyone in your office to stop talking right now. Tell everyone on the bus, wherever you are, tell everyone to be quiet. (claps) Theological discussion. All right? Here we go. All right? And I quote, This is a good word, not just for young Christians, but all Christians. Yes. So this idea, pursue holiness, pursue holiness. They say this is a good word, not just for young Christians, but for all Christians. Listen, but I think this is something young Christians particularly need. We young folk tend to be more concerned with being cool than being holy. Sounds like an antiquated idea. Being cool versus being holy. Okay. I don't, do kids talk about being cool? Okay. I don't know. All right, here we go. And this is a problem. Now, I, I think it is a problem when we are more concerned with being anything else other than holy. But let me, let me, let me remove it from the quote unquote the the young people, the the people fighting of uh, their their problem is being cool versus being holy. Let me ask this, all right. I think this is rather profound. This is where this is where I'm, I'm hoping the audience will go, "Ooh. Oh, that's good." I I hope I get that. I hope I get that. All right. So, they put forth that there's a problem with young people because they think being cool is more important than being holy. But I think there's a problem for everyone sitting in the pew. I think there's a problem for everyone who professes the name of Christ. Do you think that we have a tendency to be more concerned with being perceived in being holy than actually pursuing holiness do you think that many in the church simply are more concerned with being perceived to be holy than actual actually being holy That when we pull up in the church parking lot, we put on our church mask, we put on all of our fig leaves, we walk in and we got to make everyone think that everyone's great. Our marriage is great. Our kids are great. Everything's wonderful. And we all try to put, we all want the, the perception of holiness. Do you think that there are many in the church more concerned with the perception of holiness than the actual pursuit of holiness? In other words, it's fun to pretend holiness. It's far different than pursuing it. Perception versus reality. Pretending versus an actual pursuit. What what do you think? Do you think that's a problem? Do you think in your Christian life you found yourself at times more worried about a perception of holiness than actual holiness. And can one ever, ever hope to achieve any kind of holiness if all you're worried about is a perception? I think when you're worried about the perception of holiness, you actually circumvent the pursuit of real holiness. I think, I think sometimes we are so focused on, on, we want people to perceive it. We want people to think it. We want people to see, and we can't just be honest with what's there. And I and I think the only way to truly ever pursue holiness is with a constant acknowledgement of that I am not holy and a constant acknowledgement of my failure and of my sin. Now you I know you can't do that. The church almost creates an atmosphere like no 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 no. You don't, we don't go there, we don't say that, we don't talk about you gotta you gotta put forth the perception. And so while the perception looks good. Inside behind the curtain, <laughs> things are not so good. Have you ever been? Okay, maybe I'm just talking to myself. I, I, I didn't hear a ooh. See, they their focus on kids care more about being cool than being holy. And I think many Christians care more about being perceived holy than being holy. Pursuing the perception of holiness may be exhausting but it's far easier than pursuing actual holiness. Now, I could stop right there because I I, I think that's rather prof- profound. I could be wrong. Maybe you don't. Maybe you completely disagree with me, but I, let's see where they go here. And here's and you're going to see why I'm going to bring this up. So let me read this paragraph again. We haven't finished the whole paragraph yet, but here we go. This is a good word, this idea of pursuing holiness, uh, not just for young Christians, but all Christians, Yes. But I think this is something young Christians particularly need. We we young folk need to be more concerned with being cool than being holy, and this is a problem. Paul tells us that God saved us so that we might be holy. Now, remember, I said I think there's a, a possible theological doctrinal error here. I'm, I'm kind of giving it away. I'm kind of giving it away because I, I I got sidetracked on the other thing, the pursuit of the per, the perception of holiness versus the actual per, pursuit of real holiness. But, so I kind of gave this one away. I don't want to give it away, but clearly you can tell that I have an issue right here. Or at least I think there's a possible problem. Maybe you can convince me that I'm wrong. We're going to do a little bit of work here to see if I'm wrong. And I think translation here, a translation of the verse uh, that they're getting ready to refer to here, I think is of the utmost importance. But let, let's read this again. Paul tells us, That God saved us so that we might be holy. So the idea is God saved me so that I can now strive to become holy. I can be holy in my actions and my thoughts. This seems to be that God saved me so that I can achieve holiness in a practical way. Now, I would argue that the biblical doctrine is that God saved me and made me holy. That like... Listen, and whether you like this or not, in Christ, I want you to hear this. I am perfectly holy. I know some of you know me. Some of you know my past and you know that's not true. Practically you're absolutely right, but in my position, I am perfectly holy. I am perfectly righteous. I am perfectly forgiven. I am perfectly obedient. Now, that doesn't excuse the lack of holiness in my practice. I am not saying that my positional standing excuses the practical reality. I'm just saying that in salvation, God made me holy. He declared me and made me holy positionally. He imputed the perfect righteousness of Christ to me. He didn't make me holy practically. He made me holy positionally. This seems to be saying that God saved us so that we might be holy. That's clearly not referring to a positional holiness. That's not referring to an imputed righteousness or an imputed holiness. They're saying God saved me. Now I, that maybe that, that I might be and be able to achieve actual holiness. But just, I want you to think about this. You will never achieve practical holiness. Because holy, to be holy is to be separate from sin. Other sin is to be without sin. I don't care how good you are at any particular moment in your life. You're not holy. Even your good deeds are filthy rags before a holy God. You're not holy in your thoughts. You're not holy in your words. You're not holy in your desires. You're not holy in your deeds. You're not holy in what you do and what you fail to do. You're just not holy. This is like, God, save me so that I might be holy. And the scripture that's used here is Ephesians 1, 4. Now, let's see if they are correct and how should we interpret this. Ephesians 1, 4. Let's go back to verse 3 for context. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Note, in Christ, I have every spiritual blessing. I'm in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is not speaking that he saved me so that I might be holy. This clearly says that he saved me. Listen. Uh, He's chosen me uh, before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That we, I think, I don't think this is a might that we would be holy and without blame. Look, you're never going to be holy and without blame. If, if, if you're saved so that you can possibly be holy and without blame before God, you, let me just tell you now, give up. It's over. It's done. You're a failure. I'm a failure. But if this is speaking of my position, God chose me before the foundation of the world that I should be holy without blame before him in love. And how is, this, is that accomplished? By saving me and imputing righteousness to me. Let's, let's read this from another translation. I'm going to read this from another translation that I just happen to have right here next to me. I can find it, because it's a newer Bible, and I'm having a hard time finding. If I can find the book of Ephesians, here it is. I'm like, where is it? The pages are sticking together. All right, Ephesians chapter one. I'm like, it's disappeared. Okay, here we go. Um, verse four, for he ch- for he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He, he, he. Chose me to be holy. He chose me to be blameless. Well, the only way I'm going to be holy and blameless is not in practice, not in pursuing it. It is a guaranteed action in salvation. I am declared just before a holy God because I have, I am blameless and I'm holy in him because he imputed the righteousness to make me holy and righteous before him. So before him, in in my position before him, that is what I am. This is written, listen, I'm going to read this now. I'm going to read the whole paragraph, and you can tell me which direction they're going. This is a good word, not just for young Christians, but all Christians, yes. But I think this is something young Christians particularly need. We young folk tend to be more concerned with being cool than being holy, and this is a problem. Paul tells us that God saved us so that we might be holy, a pursuit that Christians can seek with effort without Uh, without being self-justifying. A pursuit that Christians can seek uh, with effort. I said without effort, I'm sorry. A pursuit that Christians can seek with effort without being self-justifying. So in other words, this is a pursuit. God saved me so that I can pursue holiness. Well, no, God did not save me so that I might pursue it. God saved me and declared me to be holy. I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue it, but Ephesians 1, 4 here is speaking of what happens in salvation because I'm in Christ. Now they go on to say this, still pursue holiness may seem daunting or ambiguous. So here's a few reminders for young Christians on this great pursuit. See, they've completely, once again, this is, this is becoming a major issue I think within the evangelical world. The evangelical world has almost forgotten the doctrine of imputed righteousness. The the Christian world have seemed to completely abandon what makes us non-Catholics, that we are we we are saved because of an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. So many Christians want to judge everyone's salvation Based off a certain level of righteousness someone has or doesn't have, that, but they're that's that's judging someone based off a of practical righteousness. They're say because of an imputed righteousness. I don't know how we've we've I don't know why we keep messing this up. The, the, this article is not even. It's completely just no. Th- th- this is very important. Yes, we are to pursue holiness, but listen, the pursuit. Cannot even hope, You can't. the pursuit cannot begin. There's no hope in even starting the pursuit until you first understand that in your position, you're already holy, you're already perfect, you're already blameless, you're already forgiven, and you're already without sin, and nothing you can do in life uh, impacts that eternal standing before God. The pursuit must flow from the positional reality. Or it turns into you're pursuing holiness then uh, either to try to prove that you're saved or to be saved, but you can't prove an imputed righteousness by a practical righteousness. It can't be proven that way. Here's what they say. Number one, recognize that the pursuit of holiness is important. God wants you to pursue holiness. Seems obvious, right? It's not. Many young Christians are not hearing this message. It needs to be seasoned with grace, of course, but me- but mentioned often in our pulpits and our books and in our posts. The first step is recognition. Now, I agree that we should be challenged that because God has saved. Now, remember... It's got to start with first, you've got to understand your salvation is based off an imputed righteousness. And because God has shown such mercy and grace in declaring you to be righteous, even though you're not, this should motivate the pursuit. But I agree, we should speak of the pursuit of holiness and we should all pursue it. But we have to have a correct understanding of it. We're never going to achieve it practically. That's why it had to be achieved for us positionally. All right? so recognize that the pursuit of holiness is important. Number two, get mentors. To be fair, it's hard to find, find mentors, really hard. People are busy and have a hard enough time looking out for themselves, let alone the soul of another. But don't give up. Pray that God will give you mentors and that he will surround you with older, wiser Christians. All right, the pursuit of holiness can be greatly uh, helped with other, With the, uh, let me say this, the pursuit of holiness can be greatly um, can be greatly helped along with the assistance of other people. I, I think having other godly people there with you can be great. But here's the thing. Mentors are of no value if you cannot put down your pretending to be holy and be very real with them. Now the only problem is sometimes you call someone to confess something you did and before you hang up the phone they've already called everyone and they're posting they're 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 posting it online they're calling everyone and well that ends there's that that that's not helpful all right so you got to find someone you can trust i hate to say that but i've just i know what it's like to call and confess so, to a sin to someone for them then turn around and tell the whole world. Now, not saying that sometimes telling the whole world is not, it doesn't ultimately mean it, it, God can still use that and can still do that to break you and can, can bring godly repentance from it. But you still would love for someone to actually handle it, the, the situation in the correct way. But that's a whole different story. All right, but get mentors. So recognize that the pursuit of holiness is important. Get mentors. Number three, develop a strong devotional life. I'm always amazed at how many Christians I've met who rarely spend time alone with God. Community is vital, more on that in a bit, but the regular rhythm of personal devotion is essential, one that young Christians would do well to develop sooner than later. Now, again, if you're not careful, this pursuit of holiness starts really becoming a very legalistic, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. And if you're doing this, then somehow you've achieved holiness. Holiness is not achieved just by what you do. First and foremost, holiness is achieved positionally because of what Christ has imputed to you. But just remember, holiness has to be more than just what we do and don't do. Right? Sometimes we reduce holiness simply to "I don't do that and I do do this," therefore I'm holy. No, those are that means you've adopted certain practices and you've avoided certain practices. Doesn't mean you're necessarily holy, right? The Pharisees seem to do a lot of good things; they weren't holy. So, just I think that's important. But develop a strong devotional life, right? Then number four, read books on holiness, all right. And they give a, a couple of books here: the The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, The Hole in Your Holiness by Kevin DeYoung, and Holiness by J.C. Ryle, all excellent books. Uh, I, I'm more familiar with R.C. Sproul. I definitely remember reading Jerry Bridges. I am not familiar with the Kevin DeYoung book and J.C. Ryle. I know I've done something with it, but I, I, I haven't. I don't remember at the top of my head. But those are four books that you could read on holiness. The holiness of God, the pursuit of holiness, the whole in our holiness and holiness. But let me make it very clear. Any book you read that does not first and foremost emphasize that you are saved by an imputed righteousness, that you are holy in your position, first and foremost, if it ignores that and just turns holiness into something you pursue, and if the book does not acknowledge you're never going to accomplish it, you're never going to get there, then then those books are going to be very – they're going to be detrimental to your spiritual life. And they may actually lead to you developing the practice of pretending. I think that's very important. Number five, stay in community. I I hate that word. I think it's become a buzzword. It it just – I I know that it has good intentions with it, but it's just community, community. It's just that word. It's just – I don't know. It just—it just It's almost become like a popular buzzword. Uh, it says, lone, lone rangers are dead rangers. To pursue holiness, you need the church. Stay in community. God's people will help you become more like Christ. In theory, just so that you understand, sometimes the church can be the place that will actually hinder your pursuit of holiness. It will actually test, it will actually demonstrate the lack of holiness you have because uh, churches are very imperfect place. But okay, I get the idea. Number six. Now, this is very important. Remember that holiness is about, is about grace-driven effort. It's easy to get legalistic when talking about holiness, but I think too many Christians are quick to throw up the legalism, legalism flag when checked on this matter, partly to hide immaturity or to defend some idol. Yet it's easy to let the pendulum pendulum, pendulum swing too far on the other side. This There needs to be a balance. You will fail often in this pursuit, and that's okay, because Jesus is, is for failures and failures only, but don't become so, so holy that you stop trying, as Kevin DeYoung says. Let's not be more gospel-centered than the Bible. The Bible is not afraid of words like striving, fighting, effort, and work. Now, I got to stop right here. There's a lot of issues I have with this paragraph. Make it very clear. It's not that you're going to fail often in the pursuit. You will live in a perpetual state of failure. See, anytime I read these things, they almost make it sound like holiness is achievable. No, it's not. Holiness, by definition, is completely without sin. It's separate. It's other. God is not just God is holy. If you're going to ever think that you're going to be holy, well, then that means you have to be completely without sin. It's never going to happen. The pursuit is something you will never accomplish. If that is not clearly articulated, then people pretend that they are when they're not. You're not holy. You never are. You know, if the only time you're ever holy is in your position and your practice, you will always fall short. And and I hate that... um, I, I hate that that's forgotten. And once again, they, they, they seem to they, this entire article on holiness has completely, completely left out the fact that we are holy in, because of an imputed righteousness. It's left out the doctrine of of imputation. It's completely left it out, which is constantly missing in so many books on the subject of holiness. Because because I think there's a fear that oh, if you if you know that you've been declared perfectly holy in your position, then why would you pursue it in practice? Well, just because something is true and someone may misuse it doesn't mean we don't proclaim it. We just try to condemn the abuse of it. Yes, I'm perfectly holy in my position, but I, because of gratitude, because of the mercies of God given to me and declaring me perfectly holy, even though I am not, I should be motivated to then try to offer myself up as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Because of, but I'm motivated by God's mercy to do so. They say this. Um, I, need, I needed to write this piece more than you needed to read it. I, I've by no means perfected holiness, but who has? Glorification will come for God's elect, but now it's sanctification. It's enjoying Jesus and striving to become more like him. The message of holiness is for you and I, and I hope you take heed. After all, I don't want you to end up with the same regret. Now, what is your number one regret? My number one regret is how many times that I have failed to live and practice what is true positionally. But I can never forget that that regret, the only, the only answer for that regret, I, I want to make this very clear. And, and some are going to disagree with this, but I think it's important. The Christian life is a never-ending source of regret because you're trying to, to pursue a holiness and a righteousness that you will never, ever, ever achieve. You will never achieve it. You're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. You're going to fall short. So it's a never-ending source of regret. That regret should motivate you to rest in the imputed righteousness given to you by faith. That is your only hope in the Christian life, is an imputed righteousness. Your only hope is the righteousness given to you by faith, which declares you to be perfect, holy, without sin, and perfectly obedient, because the passive and active obedience of Christ has been imputed to you. That's the only place you can run to for your regret. This article seems like you better pursue holiness or, or because you don't want that to be your number one regret. Well, here's the thing. I can pursue holiness and it's going to be a never-ending source of regret because I'm never going to achieve it. So I've got to learn to rest in the imputed holiness, the imputed righteousness, and then from there seek to live out and practice what is true positionally, understanding that it's never going to be done perfectly. It doesn't mean I excuse the imperfection. It doesn't mean I blame others for the imperfection. It means I acknowledge it because here, this is so important. I personally believe the greatest hindrance to practical holiness is the problem of us pretending to be holy. We pretend to be more holy and practiced than we actually the church always pretends, and you know, a lot of times the way we cover up our own sin is by b- being extremely condemning of everyone else, sometimes the more condemning we are of everyone else. sometimes the louder we yell, the louder we scream, the louder we like sinner 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 sinner, sinner. it 's really in many cases it 's us trying to cover up what's really going on inside of us. I think the pursuit of holiness begins with a with with the throwing off the fig leaves and throwing off the pretend and being open and honest with our lack of holiness. I think that you cannot pursue holiness until you can stop pretending being holy. There's no pursuit of holiness if you're pretending. You only pretend by doing certain actions. But there's got to be a place in the church, and I'm not saying that it's on a Sunday morning and everyone stands up and confesses their sins. There just has to be a a better open and honesty with the sin in the church. Not that people run with a hammer and nail to crucify, but that people run with a medical kit, a spiritual medical kit to bandage, to, uh, to anoint the wounds with oil, and to help restore and to pick back up, that's the the pursuit of holiness begins with a real, real, real realization of you, what you are not. They they say the problem is that young people want to be cool more than holy, and I think the problem is that many Christians pretend to be holy when they're not, and that's the greatest problem. And and I and, and look, if you're going to ignore imputed righteousness, imputed holiness. You've destroyed biblical Christianity. You've turned biblical Christianity into simply moralism. Moralism. And I think that's what so many people want Christianity to be, moralism. But it's not. All right, there's far more I could say there. But I just spent 41 minutes laying out lots of principles. Hopefully someone was writing down all the principles. Because I think we just talked about some very important issues. What is your number one regret? What is your number one regret? Is it a failure to pursue holiness? Is that a particular sin? Now, I don't want in any way, shape, or form to excuse anything you've done or anything I've done. Because everything I've done has been my fault. No one else is is to blame. I'm a sinner. I've hurt people. I've let people down. I'm a sinner. I know it. I know it. I am unworthy. Just a thought. Just a thesis. I wonder if our greatest regret is that we truly don't appreciate And love God for the gift of imputed righteousness. I wonder if if our greatest regret should be how much we pretend to be holy when deep down we know we're not. You let me know what you think. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com we'll do some more live broadcasts this evening. I promise you, I promise you, we will do more. And, uh, if you, if you, if you've never uh, listened to us before, we'd love to hear how you found us, how you're listening, because we're, we're doing a lot of, uh, trying to streamline, uh, where people listen to us and we're trying to get rid of certain platforms because we're really trying to, to, to be able to better manage everything. So, um, yeah if you i would love to hear from you news i f dot com if you so desire or on youtube feel free to post your comments all right thanks for listening everyone have a great evening god bless